Hello, and welcome to Eagle Alpha's Profiting from Data podcast. Our podcast series focuses on the most important topics in alternative data with industry-leading experts as featured guests. Your hosts are Eagle Alpha subject matter thought leaders who lead these lively and informative discussions. Please enjoy this and all episodes of Profiting from Data. It's Brendan Furlong from Eagle Alpha, and welcome to the Profiting from Data podcast. On the podcast today, I have Ed Lavery from Placer.ai. We're going to get into a discussion about everything geolocation. Before we do so, Ed, if you want to do a quick intro to yourself, that'd be great. Sure. So I joined Placer only a couple of months ago. I am their VP of Investor Intelligence. So I'm responsible for helping the business operationalize to be better suited to sell to the investment industry. So just to give a bit of background on Placer, we are a location analytics data provider. We were founded in 2018. We currently have about 3,000 customers now, or almost 3,000 customers globally. Our core verticals are retail, commercial real estate, civic, towns and municipalities. And we also sell to restaurants, CPG, entertainment, many, many different industries. Going into the investor vertical is a relatively new vertical for us as well. So my role is basically to help the business kind of sell into that industry. Um, I'll give you a bit of my background. My background, I used to work at SimilarWeb before. I did something very similar at SimilarWeb, helped their investor business kind of grow and thrive. So SimilarWeb was a web and app traffic data. And now I've gone from online to offline, selling uh, web traffic data and now working on uh, split traffic data. Excellent. Thank you, Ed. I normally kick off these podcasts by looking at people's LinkedIn profile and picking out something unusual rather than looking at the whole profile. So in your case, I picked out that you have a degree in classics. And I was like, oh, my goodness. So excuse my poetic license. (laughs) How do you go on an odyssey from the classics to alternative data? Yeah, well, I guess when I studied my degree, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Actually, that's not true. I wanted to be a lawyer originally. And I'd been told that classics was kind of a good route into law. Maybe 50, 60 years ago, it was probably a better route than, than it was today. Anyway, I did my classics degree, realized halfway through I did not want to do law at all. And then I think after my three years in the UK, after studying ancient Greek and Latin, I realized I probably needed to do something better in my life than uh, working in a museum, which I think I would have enjoyed, but I don't think I really wanted to do that. Yeah, so after that, I started looking around and I, I found the finance industry very interesting. Worked really hard to get an internship at Rothschild originally, and then on a graduate scheme at another investment bank with DC Advisory. Did finance for two years and just realized I just did not want to... Didn't like that well, either. I, I didn't like banking. <laughs> so, didn't like that either. So I was like, I'm getting away from banking. Then I joined uh, Philip Morris, a tobacco company, for three years. I was working in the e-cigarette division, and I was actually working a lot on their market data. So what was going on on stores... And then I kind of took it upon myself that I wanted to kind of understand what was going online in e-cigarettes, because this was an area that the tobacco industry had no visibility on. It was there I came across SimilarWeb to track the online e-cigarette industry, realized, hey, if I was an investor, this invest information would be amazing. Realized that no investors were actually using this. This was back in 2015 and 2016. 
So I kind of took it upon myself. I reached out to the CEO of Seminole and said, hey, can I pitch you an idea on who you should sell your data to? He brought me in to kind of start setting up the investor division. Admittedly, at the time, I knew very little about the investor industry at all. I kind of worked my way up. I think SimilarWeb is obviously now one of the largest alternative data providers wow. out there. Yeah, that's an interesting odyssey. The, uh, it's a gutsy move to just to reach out to the CEO and say, hey, listen, yeah, I have a great idea. Employ me. That's great. Yeah. Well, I think my view is, I think when you're speaking to a company, the only person that's going to make a difference is the CEO. So if you're going to speak to anyone, it should be the CEO of the company. Wow. Good for you. And listen, the, um, what you were doing at SimilarWeb, and we can get that into that in a minute, but was technical data, again, classics. How do you get from classics to data, data wrangling or, you know, data engineering? You know, did you do any courses or, you know, do you have any qualifications or whatever, like whatever certifications? The way that I kind of make the connections in my head is that in order to use data properly, you need to be a good storyteller. And taking, I guess, more of a, an artiste route, the, the Romans and ancient Greeks were the best storytellers, and they were the guys that started writing the original kind of literature on, like, rhetoric and what, how to make a good story and how to convince people. So I think one of the things that I definitely learned from my classics degree was how to make an argument. How do you engage an audience? How do you tell a story with... Well, I guess then it was kind of poetry, information, whatever, but taking that into a different world of the data world, you're just using data. So it's the same principles that you're essentially using to tell a story. Now, the only difference in between using data and looking at classics is maybe like the, the actual materials that you're using. So if you're using actually data, it's more numerical, using more technical skills, whereas with classics, it's more literate skills on it. But the end goal is the same. And the way that I kind of see data adoption is that you've got to hook people on something that's relevant to them, and you've got to build the story around that. So I think the way that I've taken my career in that, I apply the same thought process that I've been doing with classics as well. Like, how do you convince someone of something? How do you build the argument? How do you structure it in the right way? And I actually think studying classical literature, even the likes of Cicero or whatever, is like a really good way to kind of learn the foundations of doing that. Right, that's excellent. Listen, I wouldn't have put it that way, but it's, it's a great background. It's really interesting. So listen, back to the, the business of hand, let's call it. You recently joined Placer, and I guess if you want two things, I guess one, expand on your new role at Placer. You kind of alluded to there at the top, but maybe expand a bit on that. And then last week, there was some news, Placer doing some an alliance or putting Placer's data on Bloomberg. If you can maybe get into that, because that's new, I think people might be interested in it. Sure. So one of the things that really attracted me to Placer as a company and as a data provider, when I was making the leap, I was looking for a company that was the number one or had the potential to be number one, and it's Cascari as well, mm -hmm. had many different use cases and had a very easy-to-use product. And when coming to Placer, it was very clearly the number one geolocation data provider. We had 3,000 customers. The other thing that was very attractive to me was that I know there's been a lot of issues in the geolocation data industry, but Placer put privacy at the forefront of it. And the data is incredibly compliant and very much superior to, I guess, the peers in the industry, at least from a privacy perspective, and I think also from an accuracy perspective as well. Okay. So for me, that was a big criteria of like joining the company. 
Um, the product itself, the number of use cases that this product can do is phenomenal. I, don't, I also don't think I've seen a product that has been able to integrate so many different data sets effectively to create new insights. So just to kind of give you an example, like we have a product for retailers to find new sites. We have a product for developers or landlords to find new tenants as well. We have incredibly good insight competitive analysis as well. So the trade area of a store. So you can understand cannibalization between uh, own stores or competitors stores as well. Okay. So the product was very multifaceted. So my role basically here is to kind of take up the stuff that retailers, town municipalities, commercial real estate have been using and take this to the finance world so that they can get the same kind of insights to a different means. Yeah on the same kind of data as well. But you're leading the investor piece. You're not dealing with, let's call it corporate for the lack of a better term, or you're not dealing with the corporate side. Correct. And what I think is really interesting about the investor piece, and I think this is a newer newer era to see the alternative data market. I think everyone is quite well established with equity investors using alternative data. They're using that to kind of track into a quarter performance, quarter quarter, build a hypothesis yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. And also systematic funds too. Where I think Placer has an enormous opportunity is in the credit space and in the real estate financing space as well. With the credit space, if you think about it, a lot of fixed income investors are investing in companies that have physical assets, bricks and mortar, warehouses, whatever. So foot traffic or geolocation analytics data is the kind of data that you need for that. And then when you also look at the real estate investing space or real estate finance, I mean, obviously, knowing the number of people who are working in an office, returning to office, residential properties as well, industrial properties as well, shopping malls, retail, there's so many different use cases that location analytics are useful for. On the credit side, wanting to use football, do you think, uh, or, or, well, real estate is kind of self-explanatory, but is it outside of retail, restaurants, you know, classic football type use cases that you think that credit can be used? You know, could it be industrial? You know, what are the other applications beyond classic consumer-driven pieces, let's call it? Sure. So, I mean, I'd say with credit, you obviously have real estate. Real estate, that's a big one. And CMBS, commercial mortgage-backed securities, that's another enormous area. Okay. The other area that we're also thinking is uh, municipal bonds as well. So towns and municipalities, just understanding net migration in and out of towns is kind of a key indicator of things. We're just looking at business activity in parks. Another area that we're exploring at the moment is industrials as well. Okay. So the ability to see the number of people, or we can isolate the number of workers in a plant as well to understand manufacturing productivity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, so I know, well, I might come back to that in a minute, the industrial base, one of your competitors has a product along those vines, but let's come back to that. On the CMBS real estate, the footfall, yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Do you, are you layering in other data sets or leaving it up to the corporate or the, the credit fund or whatever to do it in terms of uh, demographics, you know, that type of household income, zip code, you know, people movement by you for the, the, the muni bonds that you mentioned? people's income, moving out of state or whatever is obviously an important piece. Are you layering in that or are you going to leave that to your clients to do? 
So we have all of that data, income data as well. Mm -hmm. So the way that we get that, we are able to deduce where someone lives, the area at least they live, based on dwell time where they spend their evenings and number of evenings a, a month, essentially. We then overlay consumer census block group information, which is geocoded. So from that, we're able to deduce a lot about the individuals. Obviously, we're not looking at particular individuals, but we're making inferences on the device as well, because all our data is aggregated data. And then the kind of demographic data we have is everything from house and income, gender, ethnicity. We even have information on consumer preferences, what else they're buying, what kind of insurance that they have. So a credit investor, just to give you an example, let's say they're looking at an office in San Francisco, for instance. What they would look at, obviously, would be number of people visiting, going to the office, what days of the week they're going, uh, frequently. They can even identify which zip codes that they live in as well. So they can understand if people are living further away, there might be a lower chance that they're coming to the office on a more regular basis. Right. Other data sets might be we overlay driving data so we can understand how long people take to drive to a location as well. Okay. That might be affected. And then we also look at migration data. So we could also they would also look at maybe say a number of people emigrating from San Francisco and what the net emigration is from cities like that, or even zip codes as well. Gotcha. And it's down to in terms of that aggregation and anonymization piece of the investor side of the business, it's down to census block or zip code or both. Both, both. Census block and zip code. Okay, yeah. excellent. Listen, that was a great I mean there's a lot there's so many things that you can do with the data. Going back to the question I asked in Bloomberg, and we, we went a little bit off piece maybe, but that's perfectly fine. Fill me in on you know the, the announcement last week with Bloomberg. So we are incredibly, incredibly excited about this. So we are the first partner to have launched with Bloomberg's new alternative data product, AltDG Go. So we are incredibly excited about this launch. We are the first alternative data partner with Bloomberg on their new alternative data product, AltD Go. This is a product that is designed to make alternative data much more accessible to portfolio managers and equity researchers as well, who are looking to track intra-company, intra-quarter data and compare alternative data versus financial data, consensus estimates, news data as well. So. We had the official announcement last week on September the 7th. Our data will be alongside second measure data, which is Bloomberg's credit card transaction data. Yeah, so the way that we are seeing this is that this is a great opportunity for all investors to get a taste of our data, almost as a freemium model as well. So they get to play around with it. They get to see how it works in conjunction with the Bloomberg terminal. So our data is now going to be available to over 400,000 terminal users. So I think this is a great exposure of Placer to the entire investment industry. Yeah, listen, there's a bunch of questions that come from that. I guess in the concept of a taste or a freemium model, what are you giving it? Is it a taste for free? You know, you're looking at a particular ticker level. Let's say somebody's pulling that ticker every, every quarter. You're essentially giving that ticker away for free. Can they not pull it every quarter? How does it work? So right now, we I, th I think Bloomberg have about 300 tickers. On that, we have data with uh, data, well, 190 of them have placed the data as well. The data on it has a seven-day lag. It is on an aggregated level from a ticker. What they can essentially see is just top-level visit trends, year-over-year, 
week over week over various time periods as well, selected by the user. Okay. We only have one metric right there, right now in the terminal, which is visits. Just total visits. Okay, understood. And then, similarly, likes to taste and whatever, or wants to buy more. Do they download all your data from Bloomberg, or they go to you then in, in the usual case of getting a, a test, you know, a bulk feed for testing and then, you know, buying or whatever? Yeah, so right now the data isn't available for downloads on Bloomberg. So users that want to really find alpha in our data, they need to speak to us as well. So we have access to more tickers. We have access to many more metrics, which are relevant. If you want to actually understand how certain brands are performing, then you need still need to have a conversation with us and we can provide that information. So the one thing that I would say is limiting for Bloomberg users of our data is that if you're trying to build a hypothesis in a company or you're a long-only investor and you want to understand what is actually driving the trends, then we have the information on the consumer behavior. As I mentioned earlier, things like household income, demographics, the ability to see how a company is performing versus its peers, public and private companies as well. So the real juice of geolocation data, you still need to speak to us. But I still think Bloomberg is a great foray if you just want to have a feel for what the data looks like and the kind of trends that you can understand. Gotcha. And when you say come to you, I mean, obviously, the systematic guys are going to want all your data. When you say come to you, does that mean that you have, and let's call it for the long, short, investor or plain vanilla fundamental guy to talk to your team in terms of how to explain the data, the metrics, how to best approach the data, or is it just here's data or here's the platform? We help explain the data, we help provide use cases, we help explain how to use the data as well. So the systematic guys, they'll be buying data feeds straight from yeah. us. We have a two, we have a three-day lag, which is a shorter lag than in the Bloomberg terminal. So they would need to work with us anyway, and we have more tickers. The fundamental guys, we make sure it's a very handheld process. We provide them examples of how to use the data. We create lots of newsletters on just one called The Anchor, which is provides a load of insights, which provide inspiration as well. One thing that we're going to start looking to do more is try to teach investors on some of the corporate use cases as well. But I think more and more investors are interested in how corporates are using the data. It was almost a way for idea generation. So I think pushing ideas to customers is a big thing that we want to do. Yeah, so I'm interested in that corporate, even the previous conversation, real estate and credit to some extent is corporate. But I guess uh, to articulate my question a little better was, do you have an analyst team that a fundamental investor, when they're working with it, can come to your analyst team and say, I'm looking at these, whatever takers, help me out, explain the nuances of the data or whatever. That's exactly what we have. We say so we have an analyst team who are ex-buyer and sell-side guys who write these reports and also join customer calls and calls with our prospects as well to help explain how to look at yeah, certain okay. industries yeah, or yeah. companies. And then we also have a team of more technical analysts who help with kind of the back testing. Oh, okay. Interesting. Okay, right. So on the corporate, you know, you said, I would imagine you said you have 3,000 customers, the vast majority of them are what I put into the bucket as corporates. Maybe pull on that thread a little bit that you mentioned a second ago about talking to the investor outside of the house about how corporates are using data, just to, for them to think outside the box possibly and how they could use the data. Any examples there or how you want to go down that road? Sure. So we were, I can give you a couple of examples. One corporate was a, a breakfast restaurant chain and they had a few underperforming stores as well. And they couldn't quite work out why some of these stores 
were underperforming. So what they started looking at is looking at just traffic in just in general to individual stores. What they found was with some of the underperforming stores, one, they were on roads with 40% less traffic than their performing stores. And that these underperforming stores were also getting 70% less foot traffic as well than the other ones as well. So they were able to isolate which individual stores were performing or underperforming as well. Now, I think take this to, let's say, an equity investor or maybe a credit investor, the way that you could learn from that is you don't want to look at a business necessarily in its entirety if you're trying to understand what's going under it. You might be looking at, say, a big retailer chain or a restaurant chain where actually you can identify specific regions are underperforming or that actually store locations are poorly placed as well. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. On that particular case that you mentioned, on that restaurant, did they then essentially shut down those locations and open them up somewhere else? Or what did they do, as much as you can say? (laughs) So then what they would do on that situation would be they would identify the best locations to position. The criteria that that you would look at would be, and we actually have a tool for this, would be, is it the same demographics? Is it the same? Like, how far do people have to travel to get there as well? Now, another example on Luxoxica, who is a customer of ours who are using this to kind of identify a new store, they wanted to place the store in a certain location. And however, they felt by placing that location, there was actually large cannibalization in the trade area with another store as well. So that's like another criteria to consider as well. When you're placing a new store, what is the cannibalization of that store? And I think that's one thing that some more of our savvy investors are looking at is also the quality of locations of stores of the companies they're invested in. Because if you start seeing stores which there's huge overlap in the trade areas, they're poorly located, those stores. The over, to some extent, it's like an overcrowded position. You're overcrowded, you know, exactly. locations. Yeah, fully understood. There's some one feedback thing that I get pushed back from our clients on, and I think there's a lot of really interesting use cases for geolocation data, and we've talked about many of them here today, is the compliance, the PII, you know, there's a, there's a particularly what happened in the, in the States, you know, last summer with Roe versus Wade, et cetera. There's been some law cases that have been, you know, out there with Kuchava and SafeGraph and all the rest of it. How do you get over that problem in terms of the hesitancy of the buy side to commit to using geolocation data? So, as I said, privacy is one of our core focus areas that we heavily lean on. So, the key part of this is that we collect, so we collect data from millions of devices around the US. These are de-identified devices, and we aggregate that data. So, we make sure we're fully GDPR and CCPA compliant on this. So, then basically, we take this aggregated data, we utilize AI and machine learning to make estimations on total visit activity to locations and retail destinations around the US. So all our data, as I would say, is de-identified aggregated data, and then we use that to make estimations. Gotcha. And it it is, to some extent, you also, the other question I have on that is, you mentioned essentially, well, I don't know what the way you termed it earlier on the conversation, about having the access to the best panel of consumers, basically. I don't know, you know, if you could maybe elaborate a little bit on your panel, how you collect your panel. I know there's some, quote, and I don't know if it's exclusivity in terms of access to data. And there is some vendors out there of the last year, year and a half that have been, had a problem with what they call dirty data or replay data. So basically, third-party brokers reselling data. I know you guys don't have that 
issue per se. So if you could just maybe to make investors comfortable with your panel, how you collected methodologies, etc. Sure. So we uh, we collect data from uh, 30 million devices in the US. So that it represents about 8% of the US population. We we source all our own data. We do not get it through third-party brokers at all. We have exclusive partnerships as well. And we have we collect data from a variety of different types of mobile applications. It could be a shopping a mobile application, for instance. It could be utility or some sort as well. So we make sure that our data is diversified on its sources. Okay, so it's mainly coming from apps. It's not coming from SDKs. It's coming from apps, essentially. So we have SDKs and apps, essentially. Oh, you do have SDKs as well. Okay, yeah. Okay. Yes, so that so we're getting it. We also, as part of our estimation process, we use other data sources as well. We also use for learning sets as well, which we're able to normalize the data. So it's not just mobile data that we're getting. We're using other data sources as well to make sure that we're getting accurate estimations. Gotcha. Perfect. I guess, listen, I know, I know you've just joined Placer and, and it's, it's all new to whatever you're there a, a few months. One in, of things that I try to, to tease out from people is kind of roadmaps. You know, where, you know, Placer's been around a long time. They're well regarded, have good data, you know, all the things we just talked about. What's on the roadmap? Where do you think it's going? You know, you're obviously joining with a view to kind of writing some sort of future, I would imagine. So what's on the roadmap? Sure. So I think one of the most pressing things that we need to do is better ticker mapping in general. So we have some ticker map. We, we've, we've mapped a few hundred stocks as well, beyond what we have on Bloomberg. But we just like, when for investors, when they're looking at the data set, they just need to understand the world in tickers. So we need to do that mapping. So that's the big thing that we need to work on. The other thing, which I think is a big opportunity, and I think this is where the investor, investment industry is going with alternative data, is integrations as well. Investors want to be able to look at data in different UIs, in different formats, et cetera, and be able to combine it with other returns of data sets. So I think that's going to be a big priority for us. Okay. And then I think also another kind of key thing later down the line is going to be really how do we expand with credit investors who are relatively new to alternative data and real estate investors as well. So I think we can take a lot of what we developed on the corporate side and put a new spin on it as well and present that to other verticals in the investment industry that are less strong users of alternative data right now but have a need for it. Yeah. And the to, to some extent, it, uh, the, the industry to some extent is playing into your hands in the last year with this dirty data and smaller panel sizes and privacy, etc. But there are some very strong competitors out there. And, you know, what? I guess, what's your opinion as to why Placer is the leader and continue to be the leader? You know, it's probably one, I see one other very strong, there's a few competitors out there in the US, but there's one very strong competitor. I don't know if you want to name names or not. I won't name names, but... They're quite strong, have very good data, have recently got some good POI data from one of the other vendors. And they have, kind of, as I mentioned earlier at the top of the podcast, they have an industrial data set that's not necessarily visible out there, but they do have it. So obviously they're out there. Who Competitive positioning, how do you see it? Sure. So I'd say the key attributes that we have is one, I think, privacy first, which I think is going to hold us. Yeah, which is like a, a, a real sticking point. Yeah, particularly for this yeah. vertical. Yeah. I think we have one of the best UIs I've ever seen of a data product as well, which is so easy to use, has so many different features, 
we overlay so many different data sets on that as well. So as I said, demographic data, we have even like driving data, we have like uh, even development data, crime data. So you can actually look at, you're not just looking at foot traffic, you're really understanding the physical world in conjunction with foot traffic as well. So there's a lot you can do on that. I think also the fact that we have so many corporate customers is a real testament to the data. And I think actually being corporate first provides so many ideas and different use cases and actually drives innovation and data products beyond what being, I guess, investor first mm. can actually do as well. And then I also say we've, we've raised over $150 million in funding over the past few years. So as a company, we are, we're growing very quickly with 700 employees. We have an enormous R&D team who are based in Israel who are churning out new products and features pretty much on a weekly basis as well. So I think the pace of innovation, speed, financing that we have is really set to put us as a, a leader in the space. Yeah, no, having all of those things and the money backing you up obviously helps, gives you longevity, which, you know, a lot of investors are looking for vendors to be have that longevity and not a fear that they go away sometime six months or 12 months away. Just as I, I got a demo oh, a few months back from one of the team there on the UI, and it is very it is very quick and very useful. It's, it's great It's just to be able to just put in a couple of tickers, do comparisons. It's very functional. So. Last question for me, and I, I, I meant to ask it on the Bloomberg conversation, was the second measure. Can I, on the Alt-D go on Bloomberg, can you overlay second measure with your football data or is it, to, is it totally separate? You can, which is a great thing about it. So uh, you can overlay tr transaction data with geolocation data and also financial data. And the reason why I think that's very, very cool is because in conjunction with traffic data and credit card data, credit card data is essentially the number of sales and foot traffic is essentially the intent, the demand in general. So you can, by overlaying the two, you can actually start trending things like conversion and efficiencies of retailers as well. So if you start seeing spikes in foot traffic data and pretty flat credit card data, you can see there's an issue with, uh, with conversion, conversion yeah. for instance. Yeah. So it gives you that, another angle of combining data sets together. Yeah, I mean, combining those two data sets is, is obviously going to, or being able to combine consumer transaction and football is obviously very powerful. Listen, Ed, we have gone through a lot of stuff. I really appreciate the conversation. And cheers and, and thank you for the podcast. And uh, we'll chat to you again soon. Amazing. Thank you very much for having me. Good luck. Cheers. Bye-bye. That's a wrap for this episode of Profiting from Data. Thank you for listening. This podcast series is brought to you by Eagle Alpha, the pioneer in alternative data. To learn about Eagle Alpha's solutions for data vendors and buyers, please visit eaglealpha.com.